0: I tell you one day, I'm going to show up and say, yes, <laughs> boom, <laughs> And uh, but at the same time, we want to be aware of the reality of, of hell, and what's my word to that? No, not for me, and not for anyone who comes in contact with me, I'm going to do everything I can to warn people to not go there, bad news, I give it less than one star, <laughs> Uh so we've been teaching on eternity, the reality of eternity, being eternity-minded. I did share a couple of weeks about hell, what Jesus said, what the Scriptures have to say about that place, and uh, and who's there, and, and so forth. And then I, I've been teaching, last started last week, I'll continue today, on heaven, alright? Heaven will make you smile more than hell, for sure. Uh, but teaching about heaven, this is, this is good news, um, if you're excited about heaven, then you probably have a, an, an idea of what it's about. But I want to I fan that flame. And the more you hear about it and know about it, the more excited you get, the more it motivates you to, to do different things in life. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where I started last week. I'll read it to you once again. Verse 11 He has made everything beautiful in its time, also, He has put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So, so what's it telling us? Uh, God put eternity in us. The fact that we think about it... Every, listen, everybody thinks about eternity. They do. At some point and to some degree, everyone is asking the question about afterlife. After this life. When people die. Eternity is built into us. We all know it exists. I heard a person say one time to me, they said, try to imagine yourself not existing. And I thought it was an interesting, you know, way of thinking. I thought, No, I can't really do that. Can you? Can you imagine yourself not existing? You're just like, you know, what they say, you know, dead as a dog or whatever. Just, you're gone. You don't exist anymore. You can't think of that. And the reason is, is that'll, that'll never be, that's, that's impossible. You can't not exist. You will exist, I will exist forever. Eternity is built into our, our consciousness, our, our DNA. It's, it's in there. We're not going to know, according to this verse, everything from beginning to end of what God's doing. But we are going to think about eternity pretty regularly. And I think it's a healthy thing. Especially if we have a if we have truth, if we have a, a proper understanding of eternity, it'll motivate us in in the right way. And so there are many questions about heaven. You know, we're curious. I'm curious. Uh, some of them are answered in Scripture. Um, the Lord did give us a heads up about the future, but we're asking what it is, where it is, uh, what does it look like, who's there. You know, talking about heaven now, who's there? Uh, what are we going to do when we're there? I think these are all good and valid questions, and I want to keep exploring what the Bible has to say uh, a little bit more along this, along this line. Now, one of the words used in, in Scripture uh, is, is the word paradise. It's used three times in the New Testament. Paradise. okay. Paradise is really um, another time it's used, but not with that word. We read a couple weeks ago from Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. Remember we read that, the, that Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Okay, In Jewish culture that was another way of saying paradise. Okay, But we see the word used in the New Testament on a few different occasions. And so I looked them up, looked up in the Greek di- dictionaries and said, what does the actual word paradise mean? We think of joy, we think of wonderful, nice, you know, all, and that's, that's all true. Um, but it literally means, here are some of the definitions. Um, a park, a park, paradise is a park. Uh, one, one definition said a pleasure park. Well, that sounds cool. Pleasure uh, Come to find out, um, this word seems to uh, uh, make reference to the Garden of Eden. In fact, in the, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, it actually uses that word for the Garden of Eden. It is paradise. And so, uh, I think it's interesting that God likes gardens. He likes parks. Again, we're, we're trying to imagine... What's heaven like? What is that place? What does it consist of? What is the landscape? Like we said to you before, it's a lot like Earth, minus the decay, the decay, the corruption, the evil, the sin, the, the, the destruction. Minus that, they're similar. Heaven and Earth are spoken of in the same breath many times in, in the Bible. And uh, how, how do you know God likes gardens? Because the first thing he did when he God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis one, is he planted a garden. Now don't think of a garden like a ten by ten where you got your row of tomatoes and your row of corn and your row of jalapenos and your next row of jalapenos and then (laughs) don't think of it in a garden like that. uh, But think of it as a vast place like a park, like a, a a big massive landscape. Of trees and fruit and just a wonderful place. Not not like we have it. Like we're thinking, oh man, a park. This place is going to need to be mowed. Uh, (laughs) There is so much grass here. And look at all the trees. Who is going to trim this place? No weeds. No. uh, Think of a perfectly manicured, beautiful place continually. It's designed that way, and it stays that way. It wasn't until sin was entered into the has come into the world that all this upkeep is necessary it will stay that way perfectly manicured but god likes gardens you know you know jesus even went to gardens to pray garden of gethsemane we see he went there more than we realize but we know he went there right before the cross he went there to pray some things out what's what's the deal about gardens lord i guess he likes them he likes so what what are you going to see in heaven gardens that's part of the landscape. You can see like it is here, but beyond our comprehension because we don't know what it really looks like without all the corruption, without all the decay. I was remembering a few years ago, uh, I may have, I've shared this with different groups at different times, but I was driving over the, over the freeway over here on my way to a service, a Wednesday night service, and we had, had some really good times in the Lord, and I'm praying about that. I'm saying, I don't want this to stop, Lord. I don't want this to be diminished. I want the glory of God to continue to manifest. And, and so I'm, I'm just kind of asking the Lord, how can we keep this like ongoing like consistently all the time? And while I'm asking that, just inside, my daughter was in the car, so she didn't know I was even doing this. And I'm asking the Lord just inwardly. I heard right on the inside, not out here with my physical ear, but I heard, this was a strange answer at the time, and the word was, the answer is in Genesis. The answer is in Genesis. I thought... <laughs> great. I'm driving. I can't read Genesis right now. <laughs> and it's a pretty big book. I thought I'll, well, I'll get to that later. And before you know it, my mind is all automatically on the part of Genesis that was the answer. And I knew, I just, I knew on the inside, it was about God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God's fellowship, His communion with people in the garden. And then there was, more, there was more to that story, but basically I recognized if I want to have a constant move of God in my life, if I want to never um, be short of God's presence and glory manifesting in my life and in our church, I just need to stay in constant fellowship with the Lord. I need to walk with Him. I need to talk with Him. I need to protect that time. And you can see this is what the enemy does. He will come against you. He will try to distract and get your attention off on other things, get your schedule so busy that you don't have time for God. You pop in, squeeze in church once a week, and, you know, it's just, that's good, and it's helpful, but it's, you know, if you want to have an ongoing manifestation of God in your life, you have to walk with Him every day. And I recognize that that's what this is about. So God, when I say God locks gardens, He apparently does. He created them. This is what He what the atmosphere and landscape of heaven looks like, at least some parts of it. But more than just the landscape, it's about spending time with Him. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. And that's ultimately what heaven is about. It's about that relationship. But nevertheless, uh, we see that He is into paradise. Do you think of paradise? What do you think? Here's one thing you can think, and it would be right. You can think park. But wonderful, glorious garden, like the Garden of Eden. Now, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7 reads this way. Uh, Jesus speaking in red letters here. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we're looking at the word paradise. He said there's a place called the paradise of God. So the garden of God, the park of God, the pleasure place of God. This paradise of God, in the middle of it is a tree of life. All right? And 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 so I want you to look with me then at Revelation 22, if you would. Revelation is a book that has lots of stuff about heaven in it. We'll just get little parts here and there. But Revelation, written by John the Apostle, same one who wrote the Gospel of John, same one who wrote First John, Second John, Third John. Uh, he called himself the one that Jesus loves. Right? He's the one who wrote the book of Revelation, and he had this all these things revealed to him. And he said in verse 1 of chapter 22, And he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal. So what what can you say say is in heaven? A river. Say, is there more than one river? I'd venture to say so. You know, I don't think that would be a stretch of our imagination to think there are lots of rivers. Why? Because God likes rivers. And he, he was the architect of heaven he designed them god likes flowing water and this is one he's telling us about it's it's a water of life clear as crystal so it's not like uh what's that lake over there in the middle of the city uh no that one too but uh what Quinn's pond that's what it it's thank you I, I, have you ever been to Quinn's pond I had to, side note, I had to, one time I had to scuba dive in Quinn's Pond. You can see this far in front of you. It is like, the it's horrible. Quinn's Pond is not in heaven. Lucky Peak is not in heaven. It's not clear enough, and it's too cold. But this river is crystal clear. Think of tropical beaches and, and better. He said, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So this is interesting. He's talking about, again, second reference to this tree of life. Now, I tried to figure out when I'm reading this, I don't, it's not super clear how this tree is on both sides of the river, it appears. So I don't know if the tree is in the water, (laughs) and the branches go to both sides, or maybe there's trees, maybe tree represents trees, uh, plural, or maybe it's beyond our our natural uh, understanding of physics and how things are here, but lots of commentaries on this, they're all trying to figure out where the tree of life is, and how it's on the sides of the river. Nevertheless, there is this place, and there's a tree of life there, so I see that, in Revelation 2, I see it in Revelation chapter 22. Have you ever read about a tree of life anywhere else in the Bible? Has anyone ever found... Does that sound familiar to anyone? I know mean, if you go back to the very first book of the Bible, you read uh, that God planted the garden. We mentioned that. There were lots and lots of trees. A massive place full of awesome fruit. You can eat all of it. But then there are two trees that are highlighted. One is called the tree of life. The other one's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, they were instructed, basically, eat this, not that. Yeah, Eat of the tree of life. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And which one did they eat of? The wrong tree. You picked the wrong tree. Amen. Anyone ever do that? Should we go to this restaurant or this restaurant? Well, let's go to this one. And you got halfway through and said, we should have went to the other one. I think probably Adam and Eve were saying that, too. Uh, We should have eaten of the other tree. Because one of them was knowledge of evil, knowledge of good and evil, but it exposed the whole world to corruption and sin, and it was rebellion against God, gave the devil access into the world and authority and all that kind of stuff. But as soon as they finished eating of the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened is they had to leave the garden. They got kicked out of God's wonderful paradise because he said, if you stay there and you eat of the tree of life, you're going to live forever in this condition. I don't know about you, my life is pretty good, I'm thankful for so many blessings, but I don't want to live like this forever. It's like, I need upgraded at some point. I'm very much looking forward to, in a twinkling, in a moment of time, you know, like the green lantern. Just boom, in a moment of time, you get, we get a new body. and We get a glorified body. In an instant, we're going to be never in this condition again. But if they would have eaten from the tree of life, that would have been their perpetual state for eternity in a fallen condition. So they had to be removed from the garden. But watch this. Here's what basically the Lord is doing. He is restoring everything that was lost in the garden. In heaven, we're not going to miss out on anything because I guess He moved the tree. He took the tree out of the, the garden of Eden, put it in the paradise of God, and when we get up there, there's that tree. And it's got this, these leaves. I don't fully know about this, but it says these leaves are for healing of the nations. And I don't, it doesn't describe what those nations are, but apparently this fruit produces some real good things in people's lives. Now, I think it's interesting that there's food in heaven. Because how many know we're not going to... Uh, once you're, you leave this body, you're glorified and so forth, you're not going to die if you don't eat. There's not going to be people walking around and say, What's wrong with you? I haven't eaten for a week. (laughs) You know, and they're all emaciated and lack strength. No, it's a place of life. There is no death at at all. And so it's not like we have to eat to survive. But maybe there is some purpose in some of these fruits and what they will produce in us even in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Maybe it will have a profound effect upon us when we eat of the tree of life even though we are in paradise. You're not going to starve without it. But at the same time, maybe some of it's just for enjoyment. You ever eat anything for enjoyment? I know, some of our problem is we do that too often, just eat for enjoyment. But to some degree, why do we want to hang out and spend time with each other and we'll often do it over meals? I think this is God's idea. I really do. People like to eat. They like to eat good food. How many know the Lord could have put us on rations? If you're while you're creating creating this planet and this people, well, they're going to need some kind of physical substance, su- you know, sustenance. So we're going to give them something bland so they don't get you know too excited about it. No, you look at all the cooking shows. Look at all the different foods and spices and and, and amazing, amazing things that are. God believes in things that taste good and are enjoyable. It's more than just sustenance. It's more than just survival, it's enjoyment, and that's here. What about there? Anything you have here, that's good. Take it times a million, and there you go in heaven. So I personally think, you can judge this for yourself, I, think for sh- I know for sure there's eating. I know for sure there's fruit. I know for sure there's a banquet. Jesus talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb, how we would sit down in His kingdom and eat with Him. What's going to be on that table? Jalapenos, <laughs> S- salsa, queso, tacos. <laughs> Alright, let's not go there. Then we have to answer the questions about animals dying and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I know eating is for sure there. And some of it, I think, this is where I think, I think it's probably just because it's enjoyable. And it's heaven and God likes it. It's His idea. Amen. Amen. Here's what Paul said uh, in 2 Corinthians 12.4. It reads, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Okay, so Paul's talking about himself, his experience being caught up to paradise. So up, we we showed you already how heaven is up. Up, Jesus rose, it's an up place. What did he say was there? Paradise was up. So paradise is in heaven. It is a part of heaven. The paradise of God. And what did he do there? He heard. He heard inexpressible uh, words. So paradise, we could say, has sound. is, Is a place of sound. Think about it. Who invented music? Well, God invented music. Who invented noise? I mean, good noise. I know there's some annoying noises right can you give us one Joe (laughs) but pleasant and pleasurable noises here's what well you're in Revelation there take a left turn one page 19 Revelation 19 and verse verse 6 he writes and I heard as it were in other words as it were or it kind of sounded like, it seemed like, is what he's saying. I heard, he's trying to describe for us what he's hearing. This is the way it works sometimes with Old Testament prophets. Whenever God would reveal something, he would just show them what it was, and they didn't always have a point of reference. Um, think about if you're, if you're Ezekiel, thousands of years ago, and God's giving you visions of things to come and visions of the future. Well, how would you describe a helicopter? Like I think is entirely possible that is in some of the prophecies. He sees end time uh, machinery and 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 weapons of warfare that they didn't have back then, and they're trying to describe it and putting it into the words that they knew, and then we say, oh, maybe this was this. It's just like us trying to describe heaven. If you can, if you could go there right now and come back and tell us, I'm sure we could be, understand a lot of it. But there will be parts of it just like Paul. You'd say. Now, I don't really know what to say about this. I, I can't tell you about it because I don't... It's kind of like, but it's kind of like, it seems like, but there's not an exact comparison. Here, John said, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters. What is that? He, he heard the sound of many waters. I think maybe like a waterfall. Maybe. He said, and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying hallelujah for the lord god omnipotent reign so he did hear those words but it sounded like it sounded like like water many waters it sounded like thunderings this tells me at least part of the time heaven is a loud place heaven is noisy not in an undelightful way not in a displeasing way but if someone said i think heaven if they, their idea of heaven is like a boring church service <laughs> Where everyone's silent. and It's like people have come to to us many times over the years and said, this is the first time I ever laughed in church. They couldn't believe it that people were happy in church. (laughs) That people actually laughed about things. I said, yeah, that's the atmosphere of heaven. That's the way God is. He is full of joy and you ought to be. And if we're representing Him well, we ought to have a good time. But one of the things in heaven is Esau is it's noisy. There's like a mess. Sounds like a waterfall. Sounds like many waters. Sounds like massive thunders. And people are shouting. They're praising God. This sounds like fun to me. This is no boring event. I know one of my great joys, and I know if if you haven't experienced this, you might not be able to relate. But one uh, one of my great joys on earth is an awesome worship service where we're praising God from the inside out. It's really desirable. And when God's presence is there, I'd rather do that than ride a roller coaster. I'd rather do that than eat a pizza. I'd rather do that than whatever you could think of that might be enjoyable or entertaining or fun on this earth. In the presence of God, that is good. And so when I think about doing that in heaven, oh, sign me up for that noise. I want to be a part of that waterfall and that thunder because I tell you, it will produce in us Amazing things. It's a, it's going to be a great event. So heaven for sure is not a boring place. Heaven for sure is not all quiet. Uh, there are times when it's very loud. It's thunderous. It's exciting. Again, I ask, who invented music? Who invented joy? Who invented laughter? Who invented singing? Who invented pleasure? Where do these things come from? They are God's creation and will be unlimited in heaven. If you are a musician today, I think your gift will continue on. If you have other, well, we all have different gifts. I think we remain the same, and those gifts will be used in eternity, but magnified and perfected and without hindrance. Hallelujah. Go to the 21st chapter. See, all that God created, He designed for the earth, again, take away the corruption, which is hard for us to imagine, but it's magnified in heaven. Verse verse 1, Revelation 21, 1, And I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven, and first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. And so again, when you think of a new heaven, say what's wrong with the current one? Remember, there is atmospheric heaven, there are stellar heavens, and then there's the throne of God. The, the the planet heaven, there's nothing wrong there, there's nothing corrupted, nothing that needs to go away. But in the atmosphere around the earth, it's certainly been affected by lawlessness, by sin, by corruption, by the devil. And so there is a new heaven in, in, in that regard. And earth is going to be totally remade. Be super cool. So heaven and earth will be like, Hey, that's like earth. Wow. You know, like we say, Oh, that's like heaven. That's like earth in the future. Because earth will be like heaven. That good. Okay. Then I, John... Saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there's something about the city coming out of heaven. I don't know where it goes. Maybe it comes down, lands on the earth. But there's a New Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's the results of that. Here's the results of all God and no devil. Okay? Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. If you ever feeling down, feeling mighty low, wanting a bump up, looking for something hopeful in your life, if you're a believer, if you've received the Lord, there's a day coming, and it's right around the corner. And you know what you're going to do? You're never going to cry again. You're never going to be sad again. You're never going to have sorrow anymore. You're never going to wake up with a sore or anything. You're never going never gonna to be worn out, never going to feel despair, never going to think, oh man, I just need a Red Bull. <laughs> Red Bull, Red Bull. No. <laughs> Give me a piece of that tree of life over there. <laughs> uh, or whatever. But none of that stuff will ever be a part of your life. And so, I, as much as we can't imagine eternity, I have a hard time. I can't even imagine looking out into the space. And that's a, a visual demonstration of eternity right there. There's no end. So I cannot how can that be I don't know but there it is even those with great technology they can't find the end of the universe right and I can't imagine living forever but when I think okay as long as there's no death and no sorrow and no crying and no pain sign me up I'll try to imagine a million years from now because I'm still laughing I'm still happy still full of joy this sounds like a wonderful place but this is the result of all God no devil no flesh no no sinfulness no, you, have, you take those things out, and it's all joy. It's pure joy. The river's even pure. <laughs> it's just pure water. It's pure life. It's pure enjoyment. It is pleasure. It is absolutely paradise. Praise God. Now, now, now go to another place, Revelation 6. You can you take a few more minutes? Okay, got one right here. Uh, all right, rest of you dismissed. <laughs> Revelation chapter 6. And this just gives us one little snapshot. It tells us about a particular point in time when these uh, when these uh, seals were being opened. And this is in, the, in Revelation. I believe this is in the future, in our near future. But he said in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar uh, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So these are people who were killed. They cried out. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you judge and a uh, let's see, read it better? How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Okay, here's I'm, I'm grabbing a couple points out of out of this. First of all, do you see that in heaven, even though this is a group of people that, are, that were martyred for the Lord, they were killed for their, their faith, their belief in Jesus, I think this could be true for any, any other person. Basically, I see that they ask questions of God in heaven. People in heaven ask God questions, and He gives them answers. In other words, when you go to heaven, you don't know everything. It's not that when I arrive, I immediately know all things about all people. No, I'm still going to have a relationship with God and I will wonder about stuff. Hey, what about this? And How many know there's joy in, in learning? There's joy in getting questions answered, especially if you're talking to someone who's never wrong. <laughs> hey, what about this? When's this going to happen? They were still curious. In other words, <coughs> their, uh, their humanity remained if you will, their personality, their desire to learn and know and, and ask about certain things that existed. But what happens in heaven is you ask God and he answers you. Now, I know he does that here, but how many, how many recognize there's a part of this while we're asking questions here where we're trying to discern, was that God or was that my pizza? You know, where does it, where does that answer coming from? And we're trying to discern right and wrong and what's, a, what's a word from God and what's a word from us and, and so forth. In heaven, no more confusion about what's right. No more argument about truth and what's what's right and what's not right. But these, these martyrs asked God questions. He gave them answers. And uh, it's interesting that they remembered their lives on the earth. So they knew we're in heaven because we got killed. We were martyred for our testimony of Jesus. They knew that. It wasn't like... I'm in heaven and hey, what's this? Who am I? Who are you? I don't know anything that's going on. Sure is a nice place. They remained themselves. They had memory of their life. They knew why they were there. They remembered their lives on earth and how they got to the place where they are. You see, you will maintain, again, your personality. You'll wonder about different things. In fact, our memory is going to be super sharp. Their memory, they knew this, It wasn't like, how do we get here? They knew. In fact, Romans 14 tells us that every one of us will give an account of our lives to God. Well, how many know you can't give an account of your life to God unless you remember your life? And how many also recognize that when you stand before God, you can't say, I forget. (laughs) So what was it you were doing over there? You know, kind of like when people get called before Congress and... and, (laughs) And different stuff, and they ask, start, in, you know, in asking questions. And no, nah, I don't recall that. <laughs> and you're going, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's an easy answer. Before God, none of that works because you will remember everything. You'll be sharp as a tack. I mean, you will be smart beyond smart. I mean, the most brilliant people the planet Earth, you will think is child's play. Your mind will be so sharp and so alert. You'll have precise memory and accurate memory. It'll be wonderful. But I know this raises concerns with people. <laughs> Say, really? Am I going to remember everything? Like, I kind of don't want to remember everything. There's some things I've done I'd rather not remember. Uh, Here's the way I believe this works. Because, of course, we're talking about God who loves us and forgave us and the blood of Jesus has cleansed and washed our sins away. There will be no guilt. There will be no condemnation. There will be no shame. Will I remember things that I've done wrong? I would say yes but without any kind of negative sting to it. Watch. For example, does Jonah remember his life? Because it's written in here and some of us might remind him of the whole whale thing. (laughs) So, in the sense of, well you'll never remember anything you've done wrong. What about David? David's kind of a big shot in God's kingdom and rightfully so. But what about that deal with that lady? <laughs> it's written in the book. It's not like we can forget about it. Does he still know about it? Yes. But, it, but in heaven, these things do not produce shame. They produce thankfulness. Thankfulness for God's mercy for his grace. Jesus even taught us. You can read it's over in Luke chapter 7. But Jesus taught us this principle, those who are forgiven much, what's the result? They love much. Forgiven little, love a little. That's why even on earth, some of you who've come out of like really horrible lifestyles, you've done some really bad things, what does it produce in you when you get when you receive forgiveness and salvation? It makes you want to say, thank you, Lord. You have a greater passion, often for God, than people who maybe didn't live that life. What is that like in heaven? When your mind is sharp as a tack and you have perfect memory. And I think, oh Lord, you forgave me. It makes me grateful, makes me thankful, makes me want to go to the waterfall service. Come on, makes me want to be a part of the mighty thunder and the mighty noise and this sh- these shouts of God. And so we will give account to our, uh, of our lives to God, but remembering these bad things will just make us more grateful. And, uh, but you see, also, these martyrs, they knew of things that were currently happening on the earth because they were asking God about it. Hey, when's this going to happen? What about those people that killed us? When are you going to handle that? So they knew what had happened, what hadn't happened. On the earth it's not interesting you know jesus taught this when he said remember when he when he taught from uh put that up and i won't read it from luke luke 15 uh, and he taught basically that when someone gets saved when one sinner repents there is more joy in heaven than over the 99 who didn't need to repent who are already saved More joy in heaven. He said there's great joy in the presence of the angels and of God over one sinner who repents. What does that tell me? People in heaven right now know what's happening here. They know when sinners repent and receive salvation. What happens when they do? Light it up. Here we go. Turn on the waterfall. Turn on the thunder. Seriously, there's great joy. What what does that mean? There's a great celebration. There's great rejoicing. When one person gets saved, I mean, there have probably been, I don't know, 10 to 15 here today so far in the earlier services. Here. What, what, I don't know what the time looks like in heaven. Was it a separate party for each one? Maybe so. But we know, when. just today, we've been a part of heaven going, Yes! We got another one! High fives all around. Come on. They are celebrating. Break open the... Let's have some tree of life fruit or whatever. <laughs> Tacos. They are celebrating over what's happening here. So they know about it. I wonder, uh, how many of you would say that you know someone, not just Bible people or Jesus, or, uh, but you know someone, a friend, a relative that was a believer, they died. You, in other words, you know someone right now who's in heaven. Lift your hand if you, if you could say that that's the case. Okay, lots of people in here know someone else who's already there. Now I know if you're really close to them, you think about them from time to time and you wonder what they're doing and you wonder what they... Good. Here's good news. They know what's going on in your life. I don't think they know what you're going to eat for lunch or ate for lunch. I don't think they know what Choose you are. But when you make a decision for the Lord, they know about it. They know when people get saved. And Hebrews chapter 12 tells us in verse 1, it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. These are all the Old Testament saints that are described in Hebrews 11. David and Abraham and all these people, they're in the great cloud of witnesses. The picture is this. We are running a race like a track meet. The plan of God for your life and for mine is is likened unto running a race. We're going around the track. We are going to finish our race. And they, all the people that have already gone to heaven, are in the grandstands. And they're cheering us on. They're saying, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Go, 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 go. Run, run, run. And he says in that passage, because of this, lay aside the weight. Can't run with a heavy jacket on. Right? Lay aside the sin and run with endurance because you've got a crowd around you cheering you on. You wonder what they're doing. They know what you're doing. I don't mean every intricate detail like they're standing over your shoulder watching you do everything. But when you make decisions for the Lord, when you do things motivated by love, when you answer the call of God, when you do things by faith in this life and make decisions to, a, to resist ungodliness and temptation and say, I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart, I believe that they're in the grandstands looking over saying, come on, come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. Whether you are just moved and motivated by God's presence himself and the fact that God knows everything, good for you or you are also moved by hey my grandpa's watching me (laughs) I'm gonna do something good with my life you know or so and so I know some people there and they're probably cheering me on right now they absolutely are and when you go for it in God man they know about it and they're celebrating there's lots of parties going on in heaven amen I know sometimes people wonder about negative news. How, how, can you, how could we be joyful in heaven when there's so much negative stuff? If we know what's going on here, man, there's suffering, there's dying, there's people that reject the Lord. I really believe that there's, a, there's an ability. It's within God Himself. He knows it all and yet remains joyful. That we will be able to know about things without them having an impact on us and affecting us in a negative way. It won't occupy our thoughts or depress us or get us down because the joy and glory of God will be so overwhelming that we'll be able to handle knowing even some negative things but not dwelling on it and not letting it take us down. Because there is no sadness there. There is no crying. Amen.